You're listening to Trouble with the Truth, a podcast about journalists in danger and the stories that get them in trouble. I'm your host, Lana Istimirova. This week, my guest is Abdale Ahmad Mumin, a Somali journalist and founder of the Somali Journalist Syndicate. Since I started doing this podcast, I've encountered so many examples of individual bravery, integrity, and love for truth, and Abdali is no exception. Somalia is one of the worst places in the world to be a journalist, and you really need to have some guts to stick to this profession. First of all, there's the complicated political situation, bad governance, state-sanctioned violence against civilians, inter-clan conflicts, and an ongoing fight against the military group Al-Shabaab, who are responsible for a string of terror attacks. On 3rd of April, a suicide bomber blew himself up in a crowded tea shop in Mogadishu, taking six people with him. On top of that, COVID-19 has hit Somalia hard, with hospitals reaching breaking point and many having no access to health care. Against the background of the pandemic, the President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed, commonly known as Farmajo, decided to delay the upcoming presidential elections, plunging the country into a political crisis. And in the middle of it all are independent journalists trying to do their job while facing threats and constant attempts to silence them. A couple of days before this interview, there was a horrendous terror attack in Mogadishu. Is this something that happens all the time? Uh, the terror attacks in Somalia, particularly in Mogadishu, uh, are a recurring issue. We have been facing a such situation in every two or three weeks uh, a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sadly, this has been causing uh, civilian casualties. Uh, in in Mogadishu, one of the places that have been in the, the target in the past few months uh, was public restaurants, mm-hmm. uh, hotels, yeah, and other places. So this is a very worrying situation uh, for everyone in Somalia. And of course, this is all happening against the background of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Speaking of which, Somalia received the first batch of COVID vaccines in March. Uh, it was about 600,000, although the number of vaccines compared to the population size is woefully low. It's been such a challenging year for Somali people. Your country suffered horrifically from this pandemic. What was it like reporting on it? Yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it's true that Somalia has received only its first batch of uh, COVID-19 uh, vaccination in early March. And this will only accommodate less than 20% of the population of Somalia. Uh, and, and, and that shows to an extent that Somalia is a poor country in East Africa, uh, is unable to provide the basic health care uh, for its people. Uh, since the COVID started in March 2020, the number of deaths of the people in Somalia has been extensively going up and and the reason was that there were no enough uh, oxygen masks 
there were no ventilators and that has made a lot of people to die because of the pandemic and because of the situation they were uh, into, uh, including the underlying conditions. The journalists on their side were also affected by the pandemic. Uh, several journalists were hospitalized uh, and also several others have been unable to uh, go and do the reporting work uh, because of the restrictions imposed by the COVID. And media houses also have rapidly uh, suffered because of they were unable to meet or, or cover all uh, the different uh, assignments they were supposed to, to cover. Uh, also financially, it has a very bad implication because several media houses were unable to pay their uh, employees regularly. So uh, starting to lay off uh, their, their, their staff. So reporting on the vaccination, it is still in the beginning. Uh, number one, the challenge is that there is no much information about the vaccination, uh, about how uh, journalists will relay the information they have to the public. Uh, number two, there were a lot of misinformation going around uh, about whether the vaccination is safe for all of the people or not. Uh, the rumors, including that the vaccination were uh, produced was produced in a countries uh, that uh, the vaccination was produced in a countries that are non-Muslims. All of this information was making rounds, and and that has made a lot of people uh, not to accept to to have the vaccination. So this is also part of the challenge that journalists here in Somalia are having. I have recently spoke to uh, health ministry authorities who said that uh, because of this uh, misinformation, they would like uh, to hear from journalists. But unfortunately, the government is not doing uh, much to provide the information to the media houses and to the journalists. And that has also contributed uh, to the high level of misinformation going in, in, in the public. So, so that, that's how the journalists are trying to cover. It is still in the beginning, uh, but uh, a lot of journalists are trying to get the information, uh, including how reliably safe is this vaccination for, for the community or for the people. And who is behind those disinformation campaigns? Uh, number one, the information going on the social media is always unverified and um, because of the low media literacy in Somalia, people are mm-hmm. unable to interpret such kind of information. Everything, people think that everything that's posted online is, is true, which, which is on the contrary. Uh, and there's no much education, civic education on, on this. And that's what we lack now. Uh, the government has not, has, has, has did nothing about, about this to counter this kind of misinformation. There are no fact-checking in Somalia as well. That's also mm-hmm. has contributed to this kind of, of information. So it's like everyone is there producing his own content, releasing his information. No one is there to check what is true or what's not. So that is, that is what's going on. And also we cannot uh, ignore uh, the misinformation, which is like uh, unorganized kind of conspiracies coming from different groups. Uh, groups uh, pretending that they are uh, Muslims uh, just uh, two days ago, we have heard about a statement coming from the militant group Al-Shawab uh, calling people to boycott or to refuse uh, the vaccination. Uh, because, and the reason they were saying was that 
according to the statement, uh, they were calling that this vaccination was produced by, by Western countries, and the Western countries are now that they were producing a lot of medications that are intended to harm the Muslim community. So they are saying now that the vaccination is part of that campaign. So a lot of this kind of conspiracies plus misinformation is going around. And unfortunately, there is no counter, uh, counter information or uh, fact-checking initiatives uh, already available to the Somalis. And unfortunately, this is only part of the challenges that you have to face. You describe being a journalist in Somalia as being stuck between a rock and a hard place. It was just devastating to read that you've lost so many colleagues and face threats yourself. But I think it's important to talk about this so the rest of the world knows what's going on in your country and what you have to go through in order to tell the truth. In 2015, you survived an assassination attempt. Can you tell me what happened? 2015 was uh, one of the years that Somalia was having its third transition, uh, the election transition. In every four years in Somalia, uh, the country goes into transition because of, of the election process, which a new government is installed. So 2015 was the year before, 26, uh, 2015 was one year before the Somali election. And it was a few months uh, after the death of the former uh, Al-Shabaab commander who was killed in a U.S. drone strike in, in southern part of Somalia. Journalists uh, in Somalia were always uh, on the run to look for new stories and, and, and to take new assignments. And me as a journalist in Mogadishu, I was able to produce a lot of uh, information for different media, media houses, uh, both locally and internationally. So 2014, September, was uh, when uh, the air strike of the U.S. came, but no information was coming out from the southern part of the country whether or not uh, the leader of the militant group was killed. Uh, and then the public was uh, eagerly waiting for this news. The government was also unable to provide uh, credible information about, about this. But source came. I was able to break the story uh, in September uh, for the Wall Street Journal. And then a few uh, days later, the threat is started coming uh, through phone calls and then text messages and then uh, people claiming that they know my bless, that they will come to my family. Mm-hmm. And then it, 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 it went uh, on and on and on. Uh, I was able to leave the country for like a, a short period uh, of time, like two weeks. But I needed to come back because I still needed to continue my work as, as a journalist. Uh, in 2015, uh, early 2015, January, uh, the attack came when I had to uh, go to the local bank so that I can uh, sort out few uh, few payments. And then after finishing that, I had to go back home to take some rest uh, that, that Saturday. Two men with a white vehicle flowed me. And I was able to trace them because uh, I was always on the lookout uh, to look around for any suspicious movement. Uh, and thanks to my previous journalistic safety trainings, just one kilometer to home, uh, they started to uh, they try to block my vehicle. But I was a good driver and I managed to steer um, my vehicle out of the road. 
and they wow. start the shooting. Uh, yeah, and they started the shooting. Well, one 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 of the shooting hit the 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 uh, the backside uh, of of a vehicle. I managed to go to the police station and then back the car somewhere safe and then report to a nearby hotel uh, where I was able to meet my family members. And the next morning I was on the flight uh, traveling to Nairobi. That is the day when I started my long my long journey uh, into an exile. Uh, I spent four years in exile reporting uh, from Nairobi, but mainly covering the stories about Somalia conflict, uh, doing phone calls, getting the information uh, through WhatsApp, and then breaking there from Nairobi. Uh, that's, that's how the situation went. Uh, and luckily, I got the strength in 2019 to return back and start to work, uh, to continue my work as a journalist. But also now, uh, to double also with a new role as the Secretary General of the Somali Journalist Syndicate, which was founded at that time. Uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you more about the Somali Journalist Syndicate. But coming back to to that event, it, it really impressed me that after everything that happened to you, you chose to come back. No one would have judged you if you decided to stay. How did you make that decision? That was a very tough decision. I remember even my family was, uh, was not happy with me going back uh, to Somalia. And my kids were always uh, questioning me, why, do you, why on earth do you want to go back in a such situation? And I was like, mm, sometimes unable to give the concrete response that they needed to hear from me. And I had to say all the time, let me uh, take two weeks in Somalia and get back after two weeks. That's how it all started. But it was rea- in reality, it was a very tough decision. And how it started was, uh, first I involved in a journalistic training in uh, Somalia uh, in the year 2018. This was mainly about the safety of the journalists and to highlight the, uh, the press freedom situation in Somalia. And I, I had the, the opportunity to speak to the local journalists in different regions of the country. I traveled from, from bless to bless, met with very young uh, journalists, very bright journalists, all the time talking about their plight, specific conditions that they were into, uh, telling me how they were surviving under a very uh, repressive environment in a, a hostile environment but they, com- they were committed to continue their work as a journalist and that they were able to report uh, what was happening in their certain uh, environment is, uh, to, the, to the general public. And I was very impressed with that kind of uh, engagement and interactionist with the local journalists. And they always had to ask me one question. Why don't you get back and do what you can do for us to support our cause for press freedom? And whenever journalists arrested in Somalia, I was the first point of contact uh, uh, that journalists could reach to, so that they can uh, ask me that I can speak on them, write their story on Twitter, write it on, on, on post it on Facebook, and also engage with the international media freedom group so that this journalist situation will be interviewed. That is how it started. And then 2019 came and I said, 
why don't we get back and set up this organization so that we can be the voice for the journalists instead of me personally doing the work from from exile so that's when i decided to jump in come back start the small work and the first time someone has offered us a small space to use as a office and that's how this started with one single table and 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 some one one desk and one chair that's how we established it and then we continued yeah interestingly 2019 ended and we produced the first report detailing uh, the harassment the violation the continued detention is that the somali journalists were facing that's how we produced it and that's how all the journey about the somali journalists syndicate has started it's a very impressive organization and not only do you promote press freedom and raise awareness about journalist safety in somalia you also organized safety trainings for other journalists yes uh, we organized also safety trainings for journalists because the safety of the journalist is the most important uh, uh, task for us here in somalia uh, if you look uh, into the statistics of the press freedom groups in somalia you will find a very troubling situation just more than 70 journalists were killed in somalia mm-hmm. since 1992 and very shockingly 18 of them were killed in a single year 2012 2012 was the deadliest ever year for somalia uh, history for journalists that has made somalia uh, to be ranked as one of the most uh, dangerous places for journalists one of the top uh, one of the countries uh, with the top list of countries where killers of the journalists escape justice that is the situation of somalia and that is why we see uh, or we regard the safety of trainings for the journalists is the number one priority all of the time so journalists need to be safe so that they can report safely that they are uh, they can stay safely with their families and all the time journalist training uh, safety training is then we hear stories of journalists who survived an attack or who had managed to to relocate to some places from place to place because of the training uh, they had already so it's doing a lot of meaningful addition to the safety of the journalists but still we believe they are less and we need to increase them in the future On your website, I noticed that the government is trying to introduce this media law that you're very critical of. What's this law exactly, and why is it so dangerous for press freedom? Good question. So this the um, the media law uh, actually is a very dire which was imposed for the first time in 2015 as the media bill. It went to the parliament, uh, and then it went to the president. They try to do some kind the government is uh, try to do some some amendment in 2018 and 2019 and the reason was that because the election of somalia was approaching and the authorities needed to tavern to make some tough stance on press freedom and 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 that's why they needed to do the amendment in 2018 and 2019 the new amendment contains provisions that restrict directly 
the work of the independent journalists. Just for example, uh, journalists are required to declare their sources if the authorities need to do so. That is a very uh, dangerous one. Uh, one other provision also imposed is that journalists should register with a database that is run by the Minister of Information of Somalia, a ministry that is known to be repressive to the journalists, a ministry that its officials had previously threatened journalists, is now trying to register journalists in Somalia into its own database, capturing all the bio, bio information, bio data of the journalists, including the photo, the full names, the contact details of the journalists. Uh, and that's why we were very uh, opposive on, 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 on against this draconian media law. In addition to that, uh, this media law also imposes a very uh, unclear provisions, uh, like the term of the national security, which is uh, regarded as a red line for the authorities. So any journalist who discusses issue about security will be labeled as someone who has interfered with national security and will be uh, jailed for unknown period because of uh, describing such information. And in the in the past, journalists were arrested for this uh, for reporting security-related matters or reporting even very simple issue like COVID-19 or or a woman who is complaining about rape. Uh, the uh, journalists were arrested for that kind of of, of reporting. So under this media law, it is like no independent media will operate in Somalia under this media law. And there's also something of a political crisis in Somalia on top of the Seoul because of the postponed elections. Is it something that concerns you as well? Yeah, sure. Uh, the political uh, situation in general always affects all segments of the society. Of course. Uh, it, yeah, it affects the, uh, the, commu- the community at large. It affects the business. Uh, and when the situation goes wrong, uh, it when the situation goes wrong, it also makes a lot of uh, worries to the to the to the situation. I remember a few months ago, the price of the weapons in Somalia went up just because people felt that they needed security and they needed that they they have to protect their own businesses, like hotel owners, like uh, companies who manage the banks. They needed a lot of weapons. And then they tried to buy new weapons. Also, clan militias were trying to get weapons so that they can protect their own clan interests. This is uh, the situation. This is the result of, 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 of the political crisis. And in journalism, journalists also worry a lot about the situation because of they are not able to report freely. Journalists are constantly arrested because they report certain uh, political-related reporting like the election. And now there is a dispute whether the election will take place timely or not. A lot of uh, security officials are not happy uh, with such kind of, of, of journalism reporting. Um, we have documented just two weeks ago five cases where journalists who were doing fox pubs about the election dispute were arrested and taken to the police detentions. Some of them were targeted by the National Intelligence uh, uh, Unit, known as like, like blank lotus officers who are on the streets. So, so the political situation is on, on a very volatile, but the entire country is also in, in crisis. And journalists are suffering because of this kind of situation. Uh, some journalists also will prefer 
to remain or to stay out of reporting because of the situation, uh, the dangerous situation they were facing. And they will, they will stop reporting because, uh, until the situation comes down. And that's not good for, for journalism because we want to see a journalist is bravely reporting on all, all, all news stories that require uh, public attention. So that, that is the situation. We don't know where we will hit in the coming few weeks or the coming months because the, the scenario of whether the election will take place or not is yet uh, unclear and we don't know where the, when uh, the election is. In addition to that, there are uh, a build up of, of, of clan militia. Gov the government is also building its own uh, forces. Um, there were certain uh, raids on politicians' places in, in, in the past. So that is that's the general situation. But we hope so in, 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 in the situation. Um, we, we, we are hoping to the best. What do you think the international community can do about the situation? Because it seems quite hopeless at points. Sure, we can't do much uh, about it. We are like, we want to help, but we, we are helpless. Uh, and what I think uh, the international community can do is, uh, first of all, we have made in the past several uh, calls to the international community. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of the press freedom, the protection of press freedom, uh, the international community should always speak publicly whenever there is a journalist arrested or journalist's freedom is under threat. That's, that's the most important thing for us. And also, uh, accountability is another issue that hasn't taken place in Somalia in the past. Uh, in 2020, we lost two journalists who were killed, and the killers are still at large. They weren't arrested. In uh, 2018, one journalist who was killed was shot dead by a police officer, and he's still at large. We are very saddened about the situation. And that is also makes, uh, um, makes us, as the union leaders, uh, to worry about our own safety. When you have a police officer who, have shot, who has shot dead a journalist and is not arrested in, is, and always back on the streets, you, you, you can feel how bad it is. So what we want is to see that such a situation where we can have uh, accountability uh, to end the impunity that we have into. So, so international community can have a role on this because they can pressure the government. They, they are the ones who are supporting the Somali government. They can pressure, they can speak at least publicly to demand accountability uh, and end of impunity for this. I think that's what they can do to help us. And on our part, We'll make sure we keep talking about this. I always find from talking to journalists from all over the world that international solidarity is the key. And I applaud you and your colleagues' bravery and we'll do everything that we can to empower each other. Sure, yes. The, the international solidarity uh, from journalists across the ocean is, is always uh, important and it makes sense for us. When someone who is out speaks on behalf of us, that will also always make some sense for us mm. and will help us, surely. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to it on. And make sure to check out the Somali Journalist Syndicate website. It's a great example of reporters coming together to teach each other ways to stay safe. 
because when threats are coming from all sides, the best thing one can do is to stand shoulder to shoulder with your colleagues so you can continue doing your job.